0: The Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 16. And as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, Mark 1, 16. Well, they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And they immediately left the nets and followed him. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately, he called them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with a hired servants and went away to follow him. Jesus came calling men to discipleship. Um, Mark gives us the calling, the record of the calling of the first four of those disciples. And there seems to be a regular pattern here that developed in the calling of Jesus to discipleship. For example, if you took this text out of the context, it seems like that this calling is rather abrupt, that there's no real preparation for it. Mark just says simply that Jesus comes by and He sees these men and He calls them and they follow Him. And there seems to be no indication of a prior acquaintance with Jesus. And yet you can't take a context out of its context, a text out of its context. As a matter of fact, if you see the whole context of the New Testament, it makes a lot more sense. For example, John's Gospel indicates that these men had indeed become acquainted with Jesus months before this happened. Peter and Andrew first observed Jesus when John the Baptist pointed Him out and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Andrew went over and spent an afternoon with Jesus. And they followed Him around for months, listening to Him teach in Galilee, saw His first miracle there. And now, months later, Jesus comes by, sees them fishing, says, Come, follow me. And they get up and follow Him. This is a regular pattern, for that's the way Jesus does today. See. He doesn't call us to follow Him blindly. He comes and makes Himself known first in His personhood, and, and he gives us a sense of His vision and His person. And then He calls us, First, there is the revelation of His person, who He is, and then there is the command to come and follow Him as disciples. There's a second pattern that seems to be indicated here in the call of Jesus, and that has to do with the people He calls. Um, Mark just says that these were fishermen. It means that they were common folks, ordinary people. There was nothing extraordinary about them at all. They were not college-bred. They were not of the landed gentry. They were neither prophets nor sons of prophets. They had their full quota of pride and prejudice. They were not courageous. They were really cowards. They quarreled a lot, and they knew discouragement. As a matter of fact, they were just like you and me, except they were young. Youth followed him more readily, says Charles Smart, than, than, than age. Christianity begins primarily in a youth movement, as a youth movement, says James Stewart. And the first people who followed Jesus were in their early 20s when they went out after him. So Jesus just passed by the the temple where the religious folks were being trained, and he went past Pilate's Court where old men stroked their beards and planned the body politic. And he came by where ordinary folks like you and me, young and Untrained and uneducated, common people. And he says, come, and they came to follow him. Now there's something very important that you need to understand right up front to understand what we're talking about this morning. And that is that this is not a call to full-time Christian vocational service. This call comes to everybody in this room. This is not a call to apostleship. That call comes later. The ordination to apostleship came much later. This is a call, a confrontation that everybody in this room must at some time have with Jesus Christ. It is a call that comes to each of us. There are many apostles. There there are not many apostles, only 12. But every one of us has been called, is called to discipleship. For Christianity begins with this basic call. To follow him. So what Jesus said to them, he says to us. What Jesus said then, he says now. Come and follow me. Now there are three basic things that are involved in this call, this confrontation of Jesus. I want you to notice them. First, it concerns a command. And the command is this demand. Watch this. It was a call that required a recognition to the lordship of Jesus Christ in one's life. It was so designed to bring one to a recognition of the lordship of Jesus Christ in his life. Now he comes striding into the lives of these men where they're working, where they're involved in their day-by-day vocation, where they're busy with their work, their job. He comes to Peter and Andrew, and they're casting their nets again and again, over and over. They did it every day, hoping to land a catch they could sell in the market to sustain their needs. And he comes where James and John are sitting in a boat with the hired servants and their father, and they're mending their nets to cast them again. And he strides into the place where they are in their everyday vocation and says, Come and follow me. And that word come in the, in the Greek is an adverb that carries the force of an imperative verb. It's not an invitation. It's a command. It's a demand. And it carries the authority of a military command. It is not an invitation. It's a command. Come and follow me. And what he's saying is this. I want you to put your life under my guidance. Put your life under my authority. Put your life under my sovereignty. He commands us to follow him. It'll be like in the morning. You're the owner of the business where you're employed. Comes where you're working and says, "I want you to come, come, go with me. I have something for you to do." It'll be like a superintendent walking into a classroom where the pupils are busy in the class tomorrow and pointing out, "I want everybody on the front row to come and follow me to the to the to the auditorium." It is. It all begins with a basic assumption, and the basic assumption is that our Lord assumes that He has the right to command, that He has authority, that He has all authority, that He has sovereignty. And the command is such that it demands the recognition of of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And by their submission and by their obedience, they're saying, we acknowledge your right to command. Now, some of us have a problem with that. We all want to be saved. We want Jesus to save us. Nobody wants to go to hell. Nobody wants that. And we want Jesus to save us because we're tired of bearing this burden of sin. But we're not too keen on having somebody give us commands. We're like the little boy whose, whose mother told him, now, Johnny, I want you to sit down. You just sit down and be quiet. You go to your room and sit down. He went to his room and said, I'm sitting down, but inside I'm still standing up. We don't, wanna, we don't want somebody to command us. We want to make our own choices. We want to decide what we're going to do in life and where we're going to go in life. And we want to decide the patterns of our life. This command means that I accept the authority of Jesus to command me. And you may call Him Lord, but all of the words and the terms we use concerning the lordship of Christ are a sham or a force until you have recognized His right to command your life with all authority, all authority. It concerns a command. Secondly, it contains a covenant, a promise. And this promise is that He will allow each of us to realize His creative energy, His creative power. Now watch watch what He's saying. He's saying to these four men, and He's saying to us, you recognize my authority. You bring your life under my authority. You place your life under my sovereignty. And I will bring to bear upon your life my my primal, my creative energy. What he's saying is, I'll take this raw material of your life, I'll take this unrealized potential in your life, and I'll unleash upon it all of my creative power to create you to be, to become I suppose there's no greater promise in all of Scripture than this. You come, you come, and I will make you become. Simon, son of Jonas, and you talk about raw material. You talk about somebody with unrealized potential. That was the man. You talk about roughness of life. He was that man. In fact, there is a play on words here. Simon, the word in the Greek is petro, It means little pebble, and he said, "Simon, I'm going to make you Peter, Petros, which means solid rock." And what he was saying to Peter is this: Peter, I sense in you a potential to become solid rock. And he saw in Peter something nobody else saw. They saw this person. Everybody who looked on Simon Peter, saw him as impulsive and 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 irresponsible and and impetuous. Jesus saw in him this potential to be. I wish you could be there with me. I wish we could be there. This is a dynamic moment, and the sparks begin to fly, and Simon Peter, this impetuous man, his heart is racing, and the creative energies of Jesus are flowing, and Jesus says, you lend me your life, and I'll make you be what you've never dreamed you'd be. I suppose we can all identify people in our life who were able to see in us what we were not able to see what others were not able to see maybe a coach maybe a teacher maybe a pastor for me it was garden Klein. he was my seminary pro- professor my preaching professor he was this c- kind of a quiet austere sophisticated man's killing an accident shortly after I graduated from seminary but he was just this, this this special person he was eloquent. He, every sermon he preached was a masterpiece of about twenty minutes. Sorry, it didn't take. <laughs> and one day I got this. I got this note from from Dr. Clyder. He had, had these times on there that I was supposed to circle when it'd be convenient for me to come to his office for a conference. That scared me to death. I was talking to my friends in class. He said, "Oh no, he's having private conferences with everybody in the class." So I went into the class, went into his office that day, the, the time I'd circled on the little memo, and there sat this wonderful man. He said, Gerald, he said, "I see something in you I like." I guess he told everybody that. For me, it was just all just me. And he began to tell me things that he, he said, you, you've got something. He said, let me tell you what, what I see in you. And he began to describe that. When that conference was over, I didn't have to walk out the door. I had to walk through a brick wall. Come I in. And from that time, I've never, I've never ceased to see the vision. And from that moment, I suddenly became dissatisfied with everything I had been. And all of a sudden, I came face to face with a man who showed me what I could become, and I wanted to take everything he taught. And so Jesus strides into this place this morning, and up to you he says, "I see in you an angel waiting to be released. You put your life, young people, in my under my authority, and I'll give you, I'll make you to become something which you've never dreamed." I want you to see the word become there. I want you to see the force of that word. It really refers to a process or a development. It's not instantaneous and it's not immediate. It's a process that takes time and it's a development that occurs. We don't like that. We want fast stuff. We want it to happen overnight. We like fast food. If my pizza's not delivered in 20 minutes, I don't have to pay for it. I'm going to eat at Lenny's. Oh, Denny's. I'm going to eat at Denny's. And, and if, my, my, if my meal is not delivered to my table in 15 minutes, it didn't cost me anything. I like fast food, you see. I want instant potatoes. And, and I want uh, microwave cakes. I want cars that run fast. I want to get where I'm going. I want to learn Spanish in 30 days. So I'm going to ride off and get me one of those cassette group tapes, you know. It'll help me learn to speak Spanish fluently in 30 days. I want to go. I want to get it over with. I want it done fast. I want it over with. I want it done quick. I just get on with it. Let me tell you something, when God starts doing something in your life, He never gets in a hurry. And this word means, this word is the idea of patience and time. And so you watch Jesus as He took those disciples, and patiently and carefully He began to work with them. And he began to polish them, and they begin to become. And so He takes this raw material, which is our unrealized potential of our humanity, and He begins to go to work on it and make it to become. And it's a process And sometimes it's discouraging. It's discouraging to him. The optimism and the the patience of Jesus were tested to the limit. One time he said to his disciples, have I been with you all this time and still you had not caught on? And sometimes it's discouraging to us. Sometimes I brought up abruptly when I realize how far I am from the goal. With tears, I say to you, How wounded I am when I realize how far I've come. And I've heard you groan. And I've heard you say, I'm getting nowhere. I'm not getting there. I must not be saved. I'm not growing. It's discouraging. And sometimes it's discouraging when we view other people and we wonder why these Christians aren't what they ought to be. It's a process. It's a development. And it's the difference between law and grace. The law says you do this and there's no promise. Jesus said you come and I will make you. And that's the most exciting thing I've heard lately. It means that my responsibility is to just respond to His Lordship, and His responsibility is to make me. I am His project, and if I become conformed to the image of His Son, it'll be because I've conformed to His Lordship, and He's made me. I'm His project. I was listening to some guys the other night talk about the NFL draft, and they talk about all these guys with all their skills and all their abilities. They run fast, they're big, and, and, and they you know excel. They got all these tape films of them they've been watching. And then this name was brought up, a guy named Snow. He never played college football. He's played some semi-pro football. He weighs over 300 pounds, and he runs a, about a 4-5-40. Can you imagine? 300 pounds, run that fast? He's never played college football. And they talking about him, and they said, he's a project. I love it, he's a project. What they meant is this, he's got stuff that's never been developed. He's never been tested. But if there is a team that is willing to take a chance on him, and he will put himself under their instruction and their training, and he becomes their project, he has great potential. That's what this is talking about. Jesus comes by and he says, "I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make a deal with you if you'll just respond to my lordship and put yourself under my authority. I'll take responsibility for making you become." It, it contains a covenant. It constitutes, finally, it constitutes a commission. He says, "I'll make you fishers of men," and that's the goal of discipleship, by the way is that we become fishers of men you make you come I'll make you this is the, this is the commission fishers of men now that's a pregnant term I've, I've heard more sermons on that you know fishers of men and, and usually by guys that like to fish you know, I've even heard some weird stuff like go catfish hunt fishing and they're the, they're the groups that swim around down to bottom and stir up all the dirt yeah, I mean I've heard some weird sermons on Fishers of men. I'm not going to give the sermons I've heard on fish. I just want to give you my idea of what's involved. I think there's more involved. Are you listening? I think there's more involved here than just winning souls. I think what Jesus is saying is this. Watch this. He's saying, if you'll come and put your life under my absolute authority, I'll make you a partner with me in the work of redemption in the world. Now listen carefully. If somehow, if somehow you're not touching the lives of others to release them from their bondage, if somehow you're not touching the lives of others to bring them from darkness to light, you're not yet a disciple. For to be a disciple means that I have been commissioned. To, be, to, to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, the purpose of that being that he will use me as an instrument and an a, as an agent, as a partner in the redemption of the world. Um, G. Morgan has it like this. He says what the Lord wants is that we just give him the gifts that we have and he lifts them to a higher level. That's what he says. Listen to this. He said, Jesus found me at my desk with boys about me teaching them, and he passed me by passed by by me one day and said, Come with me and I'll make you a teacher of men. He took hold of that which I could do and said, Do it for me. If he had said fishers, he never would have won me. He took fishermen and said fish. He will take soldiers if they will hear. He will say to them, fight for me. He will take the teacher and say to him, teach for me. What he wants, listen, what he wants is men who will give him the capacity they have. You hear that? What he wants is for you to let him have for a little bit of time the talent, the gift, the capacity you have. And he lifts that and he makes that impact the world with him. In redemption, can you sing? He said, "You just lend me your voice for a little bit, and, and I'll use that as a, in my in my world redemption." Can, can you, if he came and walked into the Oval Office and walked up to the President of the United States? You know what he'd say? He said, "I got something higher for you to do today. If you'll lend me your administrative abilities, I'll use them in partnership to win the world." That's what he's talking about. Now their, their response is is, is, is amazing. Let me, let me let me mention two things about it, and then we're out of here. First of all, it was immediate. I want you to circle how many times that word appears in the text. Immediate. You got a King James Bible, Schofield, the Real Bible. You got one of those. It says straightway. It means that there's no turn. There's no there's no detour there. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line. He's saying, they went straight at it. They went immediately. Are you listening? Some of you, for some of you, it's taken months, even years, to come to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that this was the first time He ever called them. The first time He called them. It wasn't the first time they met Him. I said in the introduction, they'd met him months before. This is the first time they heard him say, come and follow me. And they did it immediately. Some of you are still struggling with it. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you came to become acquainted with Jesus Christ and you're still struggling with the Lordship of Christ, with his total authority for your life. And you get close to Him and you get a little, you get to know Him a little bit and you want to do that, but He begins to make demands. And he begins to call the shots. He begins to make commands and you draw back. You've been struggling with it for months. I had a lady tell me one time, she said, Pastor, I don't want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I don't even, I, 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 He's not Lord of my life. I don't want Him to be the Lord of my life, but I want to want Him to be the Lord of my life second thing about their response was that it was complete. And they left everything. They left nets. They left father in the boat. They left business, which would be there someday. They left everything. They forsook all. They they forsook all. Now I want you to notice something that I think is strategic here. It relates to where you are, perhaps. You see, sometimes the call of the Lord is a you know, a the forsaking that he calls and demands of us is a physical forsaking. Sometimes it's not, but it's always a spiritual forsaking. Let me let me see if I can illustrate what I'm saying. For some of you, it was it's perfectly all right for you to stay right where you are and do the same things you're doing, get your mail at the same place you've always gotten it. You, for you to stay right near those warm spots in your life, just like you are. And for others of us, he, he may call us a thousand miles away from those warm spots. He didn't need He called me from the place where I got my mail. He called called Andy from the spot where he got got his mail. And, And for some of us, he calls us a thousand miles away from those warm spots. And others, he leaves right where we are doing the same thing. But the forsaking and the commitment is the same for the one as it is for the other. Watch carefully. You know, we have degrees of commitment and forsaking, for us, the guy who forsakes the most is the guy, the missionary in Nairobi, you know, and he, I get letters from a friend of mine who is a missionary in Tanzania. He lives out in the bush where there's no running water or electricity. And out there he serves God. And, and God has called him way out there. And, 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 our, and on our list we say, well, that person has made the greatest commitment to the Lord and he has forsaken everything to be a missionary. Then, you know, pastors in the pioneer areas of the United States, we come all the way down the list, to the, to the bottom of the list, to the layman. And we think that this layman doesn't have to, you know, he doesn't forsake much. He doesn't have, And the person who has the greatest commitment is that person up here has gone out to Africa. Let me tell you something. That's as false as false religion. Hear me now. The commitment our Lord requires of you is no less than the commitment He requires of my buddy in Tanzania. No less. There are no degrees of forsaking. So that we forsake We place at the disposal of our Lord everything, no exception, and there are no degrees, no degrees, and the only appropriate response, the only appropriate response is an immediate and complete response. Kind of like Charles Welburn tells about a little boy and a they, met, they found, they, 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 they got to know in the Korean conflict. He was orphaned, and they took him in. and made him kind of a mascot of the company. Cut down a uniform, made it to his size, gave him army boots, and, and, and gave him a name, Charlie. And he stayed with them for a while. He became a mascot. Their mascot, everybody loved Charlie, but everybody knew it. He understood that one day they'd come for him, and he'd be taken away from them, put in an orphanage. And so they started getting him ready for that. They said, now, Charlie, one of these days they're going to come. You're a soldier now, and you've got to do what you're told as a soldier. And, and as a good soldier, we don't cry, and we obey commands. And they were getting him ready for that. One day, the day came. The jeep pulled up outside the headquarters. Two men got out and started inside to get Charlie take him off to an orphanage. And they said, now, Charlie, remember, you do what you're commanded to do as a good soldier. So he did. He started out to the jeep. He wasn't, didn't cry like a good soldier. He wasn't crying. He was obeying. About halfway out to the jeep, he stopped being a soldier that he wasn't. And he started being again the little boy that he was. He came back in. He fell down at Charles Welborn's feet, put his arms around his legs, and cried, I can't go away. I belong to you. I can't go away. Somehow I sense this morning that our Lord has come into this room and all He wants of you is the submission that bows at His feet and the obedience that embraces Him to say, Lord, Lord, would you be willing to make a complete immediate response to his lordship let's pray our father we pray that our lives will be encountered by the wonderful and glorious Jesus who has the authority and the right to take control and command, absolutely command us. And I pray that every life present would be so submissive, so obedient, we'd immediately get up, forsaking whatever we must forsake to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I pray in His name.